0: exchange. For today's episode, I am sitting down with Chris Clues. Chris is an author and a keynote speaker who uses 80s pop culture to teach us, um, to teach us about our lives, both our personal lives and our lives in the workplace. Chris has spoken to organizations such as Visa and DHL and universities like the University of Florida, University of Pennsylvania Medicine, and more. Lessons for leadership, communications, teamwork, workplace culture, and, and much more. Um, Chris is uh, pulling from these iconic 80s movies, music, and, and the characters, the characters themselves. Um, it's a very interesting take, and I think you guys would like to hear it. I think you guys will find it interesting. Give it a listen. You know, jumping right into it, you know, first, Chris, um, you know, could you please tell me a little bit about your your background? And I mean, like the, the crazy stuff, like being a keynote speaker at prominent organizations, universities, How did how did all that stuff come about?
1: Yeah. So I was actually, uh, I I moved to Florida right after college, uh, back in 1993. And I had, uh, I bounced around for a couple of years doing some, you know, jobs, bouncing at bars and being a bellman and kind of enjoying my early twenties. And then I, uh, I jumped into marketing, which I did for 20 plus years. And I really enjoyed marketing and I still enjoy it to this day, but I was, uh, it's about five or six years ago. I was in a job that just kind of wasn't working out for me. And, it, and, it, and I, I came home and I was having a, a self pity party of one, I guess you could say. And the breakfast club came on and I watched it for the hundredth time or so. Cause I'm an eighties kid. And uh, there was a lot of great dialogue in that movie, but there was one line that I'd never really heard. I'd, I'd listened, but I hadn't or I'd heard it. I should say, but I hadn't really listened to it. And that was screws fall out all the time. The world's an imperfect place. And it's John Bender, the 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 you know the, the criminal, the, the delinquent in the group of uh, the Breakfast Clubbers, a group of five. And he says this, and I kind of sat straight up and I said, my screws have fallen out. I'm in an imperfect place. What am I going to do to put them back in? Am I just going to put the same screws back in and walk out the door down this same journey that I've been going that's kind of been frustrating me a little bit? And as Henry David Thoreau said – back in the 1840s, not the 1980s, uh, the mass of men, today we'll call it the mass of people, lead lives of quiet desperation. Was that going to be me? Like I was just going to lead this life of quiet desperation. I thought, no, there's got to be something else. And so I I wrote an article about what the Breakfast Club can teach us about problem solving. And I got all of these, these great responses to it. And I thought, maybe I have something. So instead of putting those same screws back in, I actually uh, got a whole new set of screws, proverbially, of course, uh, a whole new door, whole new door frame, And I walked out to an entirely new journey, which was this keynote speaking and and being an author of three books on this idea of what 80s pop culture can teach us for life and for work. And there was one more. The Outsiders came on um, around that time as well. And Johnny Cade says, you still have a lot of time to make yourself be what you want. And that really resonated with me, too, because I was 46 years old. I wasn't old by any stretch in terms of being an entrepreneur, but I wasn't young. I wasn't a 25 or 30 year old entrepreneur. So, and I thought I still do have a lot of time to make myself be what I want. And so that's what I did As I went out and I, I, I wrote the first book. I self-published it. A buddy of mine was good at graphic design. He helped me design it. We figured out how to self-publish it on Amazon, which is a great equalizer, just like podcasts today. Like anybody can self-publish. It's awesome. Uh, and when people after my family and friends started buying my book, I thought, wow, maybe there's something here so then i actually uh built a website never done that before position myself as a speaker and uh somebody came through my website and hired me to speak and i thought now i got to figure this out so now i sit in front of you today 6 years later and this is what i do for a living and it's awesome i get to talk about 80s pop culture for a living wow
0: okay <laughs> that is uh, that is pretty awesome i mean at least it sounds pretty awesome um you know so it, it sounds like literally you you know, all of this sort of came about, like you really just kind of, it started with something very small and then it gave you inspiration. You put yourself out there and, you know, one thing kind of led to another. It sounds like.
1: Yeah. So that's, um, it was a combination of things, but it was certainly that I had gotten to a point in my life where I was, you know, at that crossroads that people talk about. And for me, making this decision to leave that per- perceived stability of the corporate world. And it is perceived. I mean, people think of like, how can you know you leave this these big corporate jobs? You're a chief marketing officer. But the reality is like, it was great. It provided a lot of things for me, but it, it ultimately wasn't making me happy. And so I knew that there was something else out there for me that would truly make me happy, something that I would love every single day when I got up. And it didn't really matter what it did for me in terms of financial of course we all you know want to make good money but i also had to understand that i was going to be able to have to take a step back or a couple steps back to take a step forward and was i prepared and ready to do that and i was i was just at that point and and i don't have any kids i i never you know i never did the family thing so i started thinking about my legacy as well and and if for somebody who has kids you know they think about their legacy being well i'm i'm putting these footprints in the sand and then there's these little footprints that come behind me I was never going to have those little footprints. Once my footprints were washed away by the ocean, that's it. Like I wasn't here. And so I felt like I need to have a legacy. What can I leave behind? And I have these three books now. Hopefully, I'm going to do more of them that people could buy 200 years from now. Long after I'm gone, people could still buy my book. That's pretty cool. And I got to like set something down. I got to create this content that nobody else had done before, at least in the way that I'm doing it. And and that's a really cool thing to be able to leave behind, um, among something else we'll talk about later towards the end of the interview. Um, something that I advocate strongly for, that that we can talk about that is part of my legacy as well. But but that's really what drove me.
0: Okay, that that is that is very interesting, very interesting. All right. Well, so Chris, you have um you have this concept about eighties um, pop culture that you've already kind of touched on. In, you know, in particular, obviously some of those great movies from from back at that back in those times. Um, you know, could you give our liter- our listeners a little more insight into and in, into that concept?
1: Sure. Yeah, thanks for asking. So uh, what I do is I basically take these movies and one musician who loved the color purple, and I find these life lessons in the characters, the content, the movies themselves, the dialogue the situations that they find themselves in. Life lessons, workplace culture lessons for things like leadership, teamwork, uh, inclusion, sales, marketing, and communications, and then just kind of general workplace culture. Uh, to give you a couple of examples, you know, I one of my favorite uh, leadership profiles in 80s movies is Prince Akeem from Coming to America. Prince Akeem teaches us so much in terms of leadership um he really teaches us an important lesson about humility and humble leadership uh if we as we see him take that job at an entry-level job entry-level you know job at a fast food restaurant mcdowell's and you know he says when you think of garbage think of Akeem, and he's so proud of this job and there's a really important lesson there in humble leadership but there's a deeper one too when we see him at the beginning of the movie and how everybody wants to please him he has yes men and yes women around him and why is this well he was born into royalty he Everything he has was just kind of given to him by birth. He never really had to earn it. He recognizes that. And so throughout the movie, we see that he's he really wants people to like him and love him and, and respect him for who he is um, as a human being. And so throughout – at the end of the movie, what we learn from that and one of the lessons we learn for leadership is that unearned leadership creates pleasers and earned leadership creates believers – And what I mean by that is that people haven't earned their leadership position. They don't know how to act as a leader. And so people don't know how to act around them. And that's where we get yes people, yes men and yes women. Whereas people that have earned their leadership position, we can see the path that they've taken. They have credibility in our eyes. Those are the people that we're going to follow. And by the way, those people typically know how to lead because they've earned that leadership position. They understand what it's like to lead and they understand what it's like to see and find new leaders. So they'll share that stage of success as well. Um, something that Prince, the musician, taught us a really valuable lesson in. So that's just kind of one lesson there. I've got about 160 lessons from 35 movies um, so far, and I'm building more out every day. Uh, Just maybe another, uh, to to kind of give you another example, one that's more about life lessons. Um, I have a good one from Die Hard, John McClane, of course, being stuck. And yeah, it's a great movie, right? Yeah. All right. Yeah, and it's a great character. And, you know, he he goes out to his wife's holiday party and he ends up being shot at by terrorists stuck in an AC vent without shoes. At that one point, that famous scene where he's stuck in the AC vent and, you know, he Pretty starts accurate. mocking the invitation that he got for the for the holiday party. He says, yeah, hey, will come out to the coast. We'll have some laughs. <laughs>
0: exactly.
1: And he says, you know, now I know what a TV dinner feels like. And for those of us who grew up in the 80s and the 70s, The TV dinners had these like this like tin foil, it probably wasn't safe for us, but this like metal tin foil thing on top of it. And so that's why he says, you know, now I know what a TV dinner feels like because he's trapped in this this metal tube. But through it all, like what is he doing? He's using humor and levity in a challenging situation. And so I talk about that, I go deeper into that lesson about the idea of you know the best way to face a challenge or a challenging situation is with levity and humor, because you you know, you'll I've been through them, I'm sure you have as well. And if you don't try to find some humor or levity when you're facing a really, really difficult challenge, it'll eat you up mentally, physically, whatever that challenge is. You've got to be able to take a break from it. You've got to be able to take a step back um, and find some levity or humor in it. And I went through a really rough patch in a couple of years ago. Um, my sister and I went through a really rough patch together and we used levity and humor to get through it. And uh, it worked, you know, and, and and it's it's a really important thing to do. Um, so that you don't get overwhelmed.
0: That is absolutely absolutely true. Um, Yeah, I don't want to take too much time on this, but, uh, like, I mean, in my past, um, you know, at one point I was in the military, I was, you know, deploying, um, you know, the command that I was a part of, you know, we were a command that um, actually deployed and went out and did stuff. And, um, you know, sometimes we could find ourselves in some pretty serious situations. And, um, you know, one of the things that, um, I think always helped us, you know, I tried to do this myself is, you know, we, we definitely, um, used humor, um, at, at certain times at the right times anyway, to, you know, to try and, uh, make the situation a bit, um, a bit more bearable and, um, you know, in, in the end we ended up, uh, getting through all of it. You know, we ended up getting through these things together and, um, you know, I de- definitely, um, using levity was, um, quite, quite a, quite a strong part of it. You know, even, even at other times, um, when, you know, I've lost, uh, certain family members who were really close to me, um, and who I was really close to, um, very similar situations where I used, um, humor and levity to, um, to, um, make the situation, um, a lot more bearable for myself. And I, you know, that just very much, uh, I think that not just hits home for me, but I'm sure that hits home for plenty of people.
1: Yeah. Well, I thank you for your service, by the way. Um, thank you. And and I wholeheartedly mean that I have a lot of friends that served as well. So, uh, and I can imagine some of the situations that all of you faced and the challenges and it, it's good to hear that you tried to find some levity when you could and some humor because it just – it just does, it takes the edge off and everybody reacts differently in challenging situations depending on what it is. But um, using a little bit of humor just to kind of level set everything and get everybody back, get their feet back on the ground and – then go forward and face that challenge. It it it's, it's worked for me, you know. So I figured I would write about it. And John McClane was a perfect character from Die Hard to uh, to to teach us that.
0: Right,
1: right, exactly,
0: exactly. Um, okay, so Chris, um, quick question for you: What's in your top three movies from the eighties, and what would you say that they do so well? When it comes to life lessons and life growth I mean you, you've named two, so if you want maybe maybe name one more or even two more if you like
1: yeah, so um great this is great because uh trying to think of my top three movies from the eighties is almost impossible to do unless I like break them out into different genres and then of course right. it's like, well, which three had the most influence on me I could go in so many different directions, so I like this idea of of doing it this way uh i I think um a good one to use uh, would be The Goonies. So hopefully that's one that that everybody knows uh, because some of the 80s movies I talk about, I they're very popular 80s movies. But when you think about the top 10 or 20 movies that people talk about from the 80s, they don't register movies like roadhouse which have great lessons vision quest has great lessons and i and i write about those and talk about them at at, um keynote speaking gigs as well can't buy me love is another one it has trading places these they all have these great life lessons but if we focus on the goonies because that's one i think most people know and if and if you never saw the goonies but you watched stranger things the first season of stranger things has so much of the goonies in it so if you enjoyed the first season of Stranger Things and you haven't watched the Goonies, I highly recommend it. But here we have this group of kids whose town is going to uh, be developed, destroyed, and then redeveloped by a developer. He's going to put bigger houses and a golf course, and they're powerless to save it. They find a treasure map, and they think, well, if we can find the treasure, we can save our town. It's about our only hope. So they go on this journey to try to find the treasure of One-Eyed Willie, the pirate One-Eyed Willie. And ultimately they do, but through the process, as we think about the Goonies, I focus on two of, of, of the Goonies. And, uh, and a great cast, by the way, if you're familiar with Josh Brolin or Sean Astin, Corey Feldman, there's some really great, great actors and actresses um, in the movie as well. And I can't think of his name off the top of my head, but if you're an Academy Awards person, excuse me, he just won the Best Supporting Actor uh, this year. And I can't um, think of his name off the top of my head, but he's in the good kid
0: from Indiana Jones and the temple of doom. Yes.
1: Right? Yes. Yeah. So the kid from Indiana Jones and the temple of doom. Yes. Um, we say kid now, but he's, he's, he's a grown adult. And right. so it's great cast. And, uh, when I focus on two of the characters I mentioned before, it's sloth and chunk. Now chunk. If you've, if you saw the goonies, he's the one who did the truffle shuffle and he's captured by a family of bandits, the Fratelli's. And he's put into the basement with this the character named Sloth, who's chained up in the basement just because of the way that he looks. He's got a cone-shaped head, ears that wiggle, missing teeth, crooked eyes. And as Chunk so eloquently states when he gets close to him, he says, man, you smell like Fizz Ed. So okay. he's got a lot going against him. Um, and this is why he's been chained up by the Fratellis, actually. He's, he's, he's one of the Fratellis, and they just have ignored him for ridiculous reasons but chunk looks past all of these things that everybody else had judge sloth with uh his physical attributes and the fact that he smelled like phys ed and he invites him into the group of goonies and so what does sloth do well without sloth spoiler alert by the way but every 80s movie had a happy ending pretty much um they do get the treasure they do save their town but only because of sloth Sloth shows his biggest traits, which are his physical strength, his loyalty, and his heart. Uh, And he helps them get to the treasure by getting them, getting the bandits out of the way physically, who happen to be his own family. Because he shows his loyalty to the Goonies because a chunk invited him into the group and said, you know, we don't care what everybody says about you. We like you. We want want you to be our friend. We want you to be a Goonie. And so he does all these things for them and they ultimately get the treasure and save their town. And what does it teach us? It teaches us about inclusion, the importance of inclusion, the importance of including everybody, regardless of their cone shaped heads or their ears that wiggle, or the fact that they may smell like phys ed. I know I've smelled like phys ed on multiple days. I probably do right now. Um, (laughs) But it's, it's an important lesson for life and work uh, that, you know, it's the right thing to do. It's the human thing to do uh, in in life. But we think about the workplace Bringing somebody into the group, you know, if you've ever been the new person, just something as simple as the new person in an office and how challenging that can be. And to make sure that you're inviting people into the group, you're inviting that person who never gets invited to lunch or to coffee or whatever it is that you do. Make sure you're inviting everybody. Um, That's the right thing to do. But then take it a step further. Think about it from a work perspective. I think oftentimes companies get caught up in these, these challenges or, or, that they have and they can't solve them. And it takes months sometimes. And they're wondering, why can't we solve this problem? It's, prob- it's likely because they keep going to the same people to try to solve the problem that they have. This person has the right title. They're in the right department. They've solved the problem for us before. But what if you open that up? What if you said, we're going to include other people, people that may not have been included before, and see if they can help us solve this problem? I'll bet you that you get your situation and your workplace solved a lot quicker if you include everyone or include people that you haven't included before. So, from a life perspective, it's important. You know, it's the human thing to do, it's the right thing to do. And then from a workplace culture perspective, Not only is it the right thing to do and the human thing to do, but it also will help your business.
0: All right. So this concludes part one of my conversation with Chris Clues. As always, I hope you guys enjoyed it. Um, I hope you found it interesting and stay tuned because there's another episode like this coming up next week. Um, And we kind of delve deeper into uh, Chris's philosophy and his motivations. Anyway, um, as always, uh, feel free to subscribe um, to the podcast wherever you listen. Feel free to give the podcast a rating, whatever you think it deserves. Um, With that said, I really have nothing more to add, so have a great day, everyone.